0: didn't like it at all, but it's good for him. It's Christmas in July, isn't it? We're going to be in Matthew 6 today. I feel like it's been a while since I've been up here, so it's really good to get back. I did a lot with the, I spoke a lot at VBS. You guys are a lot more receptive audience than some of our kids during VBS, so thank you for that. Some of you are, some of you probably got some work to do, but We'll get to that later. But Matthew chapter six is where we're going to be. And I started looking at a word in a study that I was doing and I started looking at a word that all of us know, all of us understand it. All of us deal with this on a on a daily basis. And it's that word priority. A priority is something that is regarded as more important and more important than another. Some of the priorities that we we as people have in our world today are our job, our church, our our relationship with God, our relationship with our family. If you're married, it's a relationship with your spouse. If you have kids, it's a it's the role as a parent. Uh, If you work for someone, it's your role as an employee. If you own a business, it's your role as an employer. And we have a lot of priorities. It's without a doubt, we can say we're a race of prioritizing beings. We have our lives devoted to priorities, like I said, as work, family, finances, pleasure, activities that better us as human beings. But what does the Bible say about priorities? Matthew 6, if you were to look at a commentary or read through here and study it out, Matthew 6 is the continuance of one of Jesus's longest and most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. It's here through these chapters that Jesus gives instructions on Prayer, fasting, divorce, and a plethora of other cultural issues that, if you read it, we still deal with today. We often, I, at least I do, I often look back and think, man, what was it like to live in Bible times? Well, frankly, it was probably a lot like how we live today. Because the issues that Jesus deals with are very much prevalent in today's society. And in, we're going to start in verse 19. In verse 19, Jesus begins teaching on Focusing our time and our energy on things that are higher than anything on this earth. He begins teaching on aligning our priorities with him. Pastor touched on this this morning. I about muted his mic because he was going to get in my area, but I didn't. But the problem with this is. We often forget what Jesus taught. We have grown to a point of allowing the devil to motivate us away from what God commands and focus on what we deem to be necessary for living and excelling. The world focuses on talents, money, careers, social status, security, provision, but God commands us to focus on eternal rewards, miraculous provisions, and his kingdom. The question we have to answer tonight is this. And every time I feel like every time one of us gets up behind a pulpit, the goal of what we do is try to answer a question that is that is prevalent to our church today. And the question we have to answer tonight is this. What am I making a priority? And is it what God would be happy with? What am I making a priority today? And is it what God would be happy with? So let's walk through this passage real quick and see exactly what Jesus is teaching. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, it says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And a very famous saying that we all, I think, can quote, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus gives a statement here that instantly evokes an image for us. Lay not up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's it. And this is one of those things where you really don't need a whole lot of dictionaries to define what that means. It literally means, hey, don't worry about what you're putting on this earth. Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth. This draft, we, I look, I was reading through this, and there's a lot of what we would probably consider drastic statements in this passage, and this drastic statement is both the warning and a promise. The warning is that the worldly riches will be corrupted and destroyed, while heavenly riches are incorruptible and eternal. I wrote this thought down, and my points tonight are kind of thoughts, I guess, and this Thought is this: Don't sacrifice eternal investments on the altar of temporary fulfillment. Don't sacrifice eternal investments on the altar of temporary fulfillment. We had Q and A at camp this year. Is this? This is working. This is working. We had Q and A at camp this year, and we always get some fun questions. But one of the questions was on dating. There's always at least one or two questions on dating. It's a whole blast. To, it's a whole lot of fun to answer, especially with Wes and Lara having three kids in the youth group and all that fun stuff. So I give those to them. But I was sitting next to Lara, and well, Lara and me have talked a lot, and being close with the family, we've talked a lot. And, but there is something that we all agree on, and we've, we told the kids this. Don't sacrifice your spiritual position with God for a social position with someone else. Now the parents in here are like, man, my kid needs to hear that. But how many of us need to hear that? Hey, people accept me better if I'm this way. People treat me better if I, if I go along with what they're doing. Do you realize that the temptation to fit in doesn't stop when you turn 18? How many of you adults recognize that? In fact, it probably gets a lot worse. When I was a kid, I... I to be honest i didn't have a lot of friends i i interact better with people a lot older than me hence why i help with a dma group because i get in that group i'm having a blast we're talking i love it but you put me in a young adults group i get awkward i get weird or i get normal i should say but i remember when i turned 18 and i went to college i think man the temptation to fit into the world i'd worked at the theater before and i had worked with a lot of unsaved kids and They were good friends and they were good people, but they weren't the same type of person that I was. And I thought the temptation's gone. I can I can relax now. And frankly, it didn't get any better. But now I was at Bible college and I had people who feigned spirituality saying you needed to do this. But you come to this point in the Bible and God says, don't sacrifice the eternal things that I promise you for the temporary fulfillment that the world gives. He says a choice has to be made in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. That's a promise from God is that whatever you lay up on this earth is going to go away. And where thieves break through and steal, it's weak and it's vulnerable, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Then he makes that statement. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So which choice are you making today? Are we consumed with the pursuit of financial freedom, social acceptance, that you've neglected the spiritual freedom that Jesus offers? Have you devoted your life to the security of your family that you have forgotten to work On the spiritual security for yourself. Mark 8, 34 is Jesus teaching. And when he had called the people unto him and his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That just completely punctured a hole in the self-help movement. (laughs) You guys realize that? Jesus Christ didn't say, hey, take time, work on yourself. And he said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross, follow me, for whoever shall shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Dads, your family needs to know that. You are the first that you are first and foremost interested in their spiritual conditions before their financial position in society. You as a parent, you need to care more. Are you as a parent caring more about the savings account than your child's devotions? How about their spiritual conditions over their extracurricular activities? This is one of the hardest things we see in church. I know Wes and Laura, I know dad and mom would agree. We see people making these decisions with their families and there's only so much we can tell them what's right and wrong. Hardest thing I think of when I was out at school is you go to school and I I had this image in my mind that everyone going to West Coast Baptist College was there for the same exact reason and unfortunately it's not. I remember I had this kid in my dorm. Tyler would know him. His name was Josh Ferran Josh went to school the same year Tyler went. They were freshmen together. Josh's parents were missionaries, and Josh came to school and had to work all four years and had to work full time to get his way through school. Josh, his freshman year, got a job at a solar company. We got the roof salesman out here, but in California, you got guys going door-to-door with little tablets selling solar. Josh got a job as a door-to-door salesman. I remember Josh worked very hard on walking door to door, so much so that by his senior year, he was paid salary and the head of the sales team at this solar company. I don't remember how much Josh was making, but it was getting close to six figures as a college student. And I remember thinking, this guy has not made. He had saved up and bought himself a new car. I remember my junior year, his roommate wasn't gonna be able to graduate. He took his roommate, Colin, and said, hey, let's go. And he paid off his roommate's bill. He was a very generous guy. He was a hard worker. He was, he was charismatic. He was fun to talk to. He was, he was dating a really great girl, and they were engaged to be married after graduation. And I remember the day he was in the room next to me. I remember he comes home and says, pray with me. I've got a problem. The solar company wants me to go on their upper management team with the company, they want me to move to San Diego after graduation. He says, it's a moving expense. They're giving me a housing allowance. It was a great job. It's the job that we, that anyone who's in the career world realize that's how you make it. He said, pray with me. I know God wants me to go to the mission field, but I don't know how to get through this. Remember, we prayed with Josh and a few months later, the day before graduation, I knew that Josh had made his commitment that he was going to quit. I was grateful. He said, I need to go to the mission field. Josh walks into the dorm that night, and they always wear the same polos. I called them a cult. They look like Mormons, but they all had like the same. It was a dark green polo. It had a little yellow logo in the side. And he walks into the dorm. I'm sitting in the lobby, and he grabs his polo by the collar, rips it off, takes it by the collar, and rips it in half. Drops it on the ground and walks off. says, I'm done. You know why? Because his heart wasn't in it. His heart was devoted to something else. Because where your heart is, there will treasure be also. He got married to Bethany a few months later, and they're in full time ministry today. You see, he cared more about what Jesus wanted him to do than what the than what society was making him do. One day we will give an account on how we devoted our life to God. And if we aren't pursuing heaven, It will be a sad day. Jesus gave his all for us, and we can't be motivated to give him more than just a few hours a week. We have sacrificed our spiritual status with God for a social status with the world. We have sacrificed eternal security for temporary security, and we've decided to worship our finances over our Savior. So we see a choice has to be made, and a warning is issued in verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, that word "single" it means it means it means singularly focused on God. It means it means steadfast. For I be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light of the of light that is in thee be dark darkness, how great is that darkness? The unfortunate aspect is that many people will attempt to ride the line of devotion. They will attempt to be what God wants and what the world wants. We can't be that. It's not that you don't have the ability to. It's that it is physically, spiritually, and emotionally impossible to be a lukewarm Christian. And you're like, well, the Bible says it. Here's the deal. You're either hot or you're cold. God's either happy with you or unhappy with you. You've got a decision to make. Jesus, another radical statement is that that anything that takes our focus away from God is darkness and evil. He doesn't say it's a gray area. No, it's either black or white. He makes a statement in which our lives will be spent serving, but we decide which master we serve. The Christian life is not one of middle ground. It is not one of half-hearted devotion. you either all in or you're not. It's up to you. I think of Peter in Luke 5. Jesus goes on the boat and tells his disciples, Hey, launch out into the deep and cast your nets on the other side. Peter says this. Simon answering said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. How many times have we got to our nevertheless moments? Like, God, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what you've commanded me to do, and I've I've stayed faithful, well, and nothing's happened, but you know what? Fine. But it says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw that the Fish came up in the net and there were there were too many that when he, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Peter's faith was not one of, I guess, action. It was one of excuses. And we're really good at giving God the excuses on why we can't do something. So what are you doing with God for God with an excuse leading your actions? Are you sacrificing God's blessings on the altar of temporary fulfillment that the world has to offer? Don't sacrifice those investments in heaven on the altar of that fulfillment. But keep keep looking at this chapter, verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body or what, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I really hate that verse because I tried to get to dad's height and it never worked. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe clothe you, O ye of little faith? The question the world asks a lot, and the question that we might ask a lot, is God makes a statement of you can't serve God and mammon. Well, we have have the question, well, if I'm not supposed to serve money, how do I survive? And Jesus made some pretty strong statements, again, about our focus, and he transitions to teaching us how to live with that focus in mind. He answers the question, how do we live without fear of being provided for or supplied? And this is a statement. Number two, the statement I would make is this. Refuse to allow fear to rob you of the blessing of God's provision by taking on God's responsibility. Refuse to allow fear to rob you of the blessing of God's provision by taking on God's responsibility. When was the last time you felt overwhelmed due to the responsibilities you have? I think all of us can probably say this week. This week I did. You know, it was a couple of days ago, work was rough, and I, I really felt overwhelmed. Or maybe it was that hailstorm, and I know, James, you're probably feeling pretty overwhelmed, lots of busy and dented roofs and whatnot. And business is great, but it can get overwhelming. When's the last time you felt overwhelmed? My question is why would you take on more of that overwhelming creature than when God says not to? Our provision is in God's personal realm for what he promises to take care of. Jesus is teaching here today and and kids listen up, Jesus is not just teaching a group of adults. Kids, teenagers, elderly, young, married, single, everyone was gathered around and he was teaching to an audience, knowing who was there. But Jesus wants us to know that our livelihood is not meant to be something we are worried about. It instead is something that we should surrender to him. <coughs> now, I don't want you to think that this doesn't mean that we don't work. The Bible says in First Timothy 5, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. What Jesus wants us to do is prioritize our work in the rightful place under our devotion to him. Not only financial, though, but our our planning needs need to be secondary to our devotion to God. Our our physical needs need to be secondary to to God. Our, Our social needs need to be secondary to God. When was the last time you placed your responsibility to Christ before your responsibility towards anything else? Our job, our finances, our activities, even our family. You know why? And we'll get to that in a bit, but God says, hey, follow me, I'll take care of the rest. Anxiety, I, I love this definition, is taking on responsibility that was previously given to God. That word, take no thought, it means don't be anxious. Worry is when we decide to take on, take from God what he has commanded us to give to him. So how do we overcome it? Well, number one, put your faith in God first, not your possessions. Put your faith in God first, not your possessions. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We have come to a place where our possessions are, where we find our faith. If this is the case, then we've created an idol out of things that God has given to us. So put your faith in God first, not your possessions. Let her be what is causing you to worry so much. Look at the book of Joshua. If you were to go to Joshua, Joshua chapter one, and then again in verse six. Joshua is overwhelmed by the possibility of what God has planned for him. Joshua's role is pretty certain. He knows what he has to do, but he's overwhelmed. In Joshua 6, now Jericho was straightly shut up. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. <coughs> Joshua had a job here that seemed impossible. A frightening task, a towering city with not one but two walls that could not be taken down by the small army of tradesmen and former slaves that Israel had. But he had something greater on his side. He had a promise from God. We taught the kids this in in, uh, VBS. Taught the kids, hey, Satan's going to throw a bunch of different lies at you. What you throw back is the promises that God gives us. And that'll help us. You get to the point this week and you say, God, I don't know how we're going to make it. God, I don't know how you how I don't know how we're going to get food on the table this week. I don't know how my kids are going to get this. But you say that verse back to Satan. I'm not going to fear. Because God says he's with me. I'm Not going to be dismayed because he is my God. He's going to strengthen me. He will help me. He will uphold me. When we examine the worry, we realize that God has given us promise to overcome that worry. So let her see ask God to help you with the worry and give it over to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to the fiery furnace knowing the consequences, but knowing God's promise was greater than the furnace. Ask God to help you with the worry and give it over to him. When was the last time you bowed to the demands of what if? Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? <laughs> what if the economy crashes again? I, mean, I, I had just left the bank when that big bank in California was put under, and I was in the bank that week and talking to, one of my, to my manager who I had. And I asked him, I said, did that affect you guys? He said, we had three people at the little bank here in Fort Morgan come out and want to pull everything out. They were so worried that everything was gonna go under for a what if. Ask God to help you with the worry and just give it over to Him. He wants it. And let her be attack the worry with the knowledge that God will provide. First Peter 5:7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, when we take on anxiety, when we take on worry, it's the equivalent of us taking a live bomb from a bomb expert because we believe we are better equipped to handle it. Do you realize that? The anxiety is a time bomb. I want to give it to the bomb expert. I don't want to hold on to it. And God's the expert on what to do. I have a friend out of at, at, at California, and she always says this, worry is sin. I think that's her catchphrase. Worry is sin. But every time I worry, that's what comes up. Worry is sin, worry is sin, worry is sin. Worry is sin. Say that for a week. You won't forget it. But let's live our lives that way. Worry is sin. I'm not going to worry because God's going to take care of it. And we see the culmination of this in verse 31. Let's look at verse 31. We'll be done here in just a second. Therefore, this is a statement of transition. You saw it again earlier in verse 25. But therefore, it's saying, hey, because of what I just said, now do this. Therefore, take no thought. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, how you're going to be provided for. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. God commands us not to worry about his provision because he will take care of it. Not only will he provide, he says we are like the unsaved when we worry. You see, you are not. You are never more like a heathen than when you are worrying about what God has promised to take care of. For your heavenly father. Look at the intimate position Jesus is giving us. He's a loving father who knows what you need for your loving for your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Instead of focusing on the material, direct your focus onto the spiritual. You will have to work. You need to help provide for your family. I understand that. But you first need to seek after the kingdom of God. That word seek actually literally comes, it's the same word that we think of when we think of hide and seek. It's us searching and and pining away and looking for and and aiming for and striving for. It's an action that we have to do And the kingdom of God is the places, things, actions or demeanors that place God as preeminent into our lives. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, the Jewish people were looking for a new king. The Jews there thought Jesus was coming to take away the Romans and and bring about a new kingdom. But Jesus declares that the kingdom of God had already come. We can miss a blessing when we sit around waiting for God to bless us instead of doing what he already commanded. Colossians 3 verse 1, "If If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the thing above and not on the things of this earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye appear also appear with him in glory. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Philippians 419, it was on the screens today, it was in your bulletin. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. You know what that means? He doesn't have a budget problem. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is looking at what God wants and making that our priority first. Righteousness entails everything that is right and just about God. His righteousness is his perfect way, his perfect reactions, his perfect provision. Seek after those things first. You realize he doesn't say you can't go after certain things. You can you can have dreams. You can have a happy family. You can can work for a good home. You can work for nice things, but put God first. In verse 34 is the capstone for the passage. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We're instructed on anxieties, priorities, worry. God says not to worry about tomorrow's problems because today's are enough. Why do we allow ourselves to get depressed or anxious with these expectations we have for our future? Teenager, don't worry about what's gonna happen next year. Frankly, don't don't stress too much about what college you're gonna go to because God's gonna provide. Seek his kingdom first. Mom and dad, are you stressing right now? Give it over. Make God your first priority and he will take care of everything else. Make God your first priority and he will take care of everything else. Refuse to allow fear to rob you of God's blessing of God providing for you. And don't sacrifice those eternal things on the altar of temporary fulfillment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, we love you. We thank you for everything you've given to us. Thank you for loving us and God providing for us. God, we're all here in your house tonight. We all either drove or were driven or if someone walked, Lord, they had the ability to walk here. God, thank you for loving us enough just to give us everything we need. And God, everything on top of that is just an added bonus. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray.